Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hey folks, and welcome to the Dialogic Disciple Podcast. I'm James. And I'm Nick. And we are so glad that you're here. Thanks for joining us. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. We are actually set up in a whole different way today than we whole normally are. Whole different way. Yeah. Uh, we have actually been, we've been recording our podcast over Zoom the past uh, few weeks, but before that we were recording it in your office, mm-hmm. and today we're actually at the studio with Matt Jackson, and Matt has kindly uh, decided or, or had volunteered to, to produce this podcast, and so we, uh, we thank him. Thank you, Matt, for your help today, and wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I, I mean, we're like big league now. We've, We've got already a done like an hour of sound studio. checks and like Man. getting the mic correctly placed. And this is legit. <laughs> I didn't realize how much of a perfectionist that Matt was, but uh, it's good. It's good to know that we have that quality. At I know Church. what we've been doing. Garbage. <laughs> it's been garbage. This is fantastic. <laughs> Well, last week we we talked to Brandy Diamond, and we had a, a great conversation. I thought on children's ministry and children and how they're kind of responding to uh, the context, our times, the, the the pandemic, the social unrest. But one of the things that we talked about with her was scripture and and how to how to engage scripture with children and stories that can be difficult uh, to to talk to children about and and even to adults about. Um, you know, it was interesting to get the children's ministry perspective on how to talk to kids. And one of the things Brandy highlighted was, um, you know, recruiting volunteers to work with children. Yeah. And we talked about how influential those volunteers were. And maybe it wasn't in our upbringing that we were remembered a specific person, but we remember the feeling of being engaged in children's ministries yeah. at church and how we want to make sure that the experience that kids have at Northside Church is a positive one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but sometimes volunteers feel challenged by the material. But it's yeah, it's it's a whole different language. Yeah, you know, when you talk about reading the Bible, you're talking about learning a whole different way of seeing the world. And um, so I I thought that you know we have a Bible study. We actually are going to do something at the church all together. We're actually going to open the doors and let people come into the church, um, and do a Bible study at slash worship experience. Uh, where we're we're limiting it to I think a hundred people, and yep. um, we're gonna. Uh, Doctor Bill has picked the topic of uh, Genesis, rated M for mature, mm-hmm. and I think that's a fantastic title. Uh, and it's it's gonna be an interesting read through the first eleven chapters well, of Genesis, and it certainly highlights um, the issue with children's Bible stories. That's right. Those first few chapters of Genesis are like foundational Bible stories for kids. That's like a top five, top five Bible stories list. Yeah. Um, but then we're, we're promoting a Bible study on Wednesday nights for adults that highlights the fact that it's rated M for mature. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah. So that tells us that we probably didn't hear all of those stories when we were growing up. We probably didn't... Um, we probably didn't hear everything that was in those stories, and there might be a little bit more to those stories than 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 we remember. 
I thought coming out of the conversation with Brandy and talking about how difficult some of these passages can be to, to wrestle with, it might be fun for us to kind of take a look at uh, the first 11 chapters of Genesis and some of these stories that we're very familiar with. You and I both grew up in Bible-based traditions, and we grew yes, up we memorizing did. Bible verses. And, yes, and we did. We've heard these stories many, many, many times. So I thought it would be fun for us to, to kind of recollect what it was like, what we remember about learning uh, these stories when we were kids, how we approached it when we were kids, and um, how we look at them today. It feels very much like a crossover event. <laughs> you know, we, it is. We're, we're picking up podcast one week, what's coming up in the church. Isn't that fantastic? It's bringing everything together. It's like we're all on the it. same team. We're I all trying it. to achieve the same goal. So let's start by asking this question. Let me ask you this, Nick. What is your general feel for these first 11 chapters? If, if I gave you a, pa- a pen and a paper, could you write down the, the stories that are in the first 11 chapters? Do you know what it includes, what it doesn't include? I, I actually think I could do pretty well on this. Yeah. Um, I, I might miss the cutoff point. Yeah. Um, if, you've gone, if you've hit Abraham, you've gone too far. Okay. That, that's, that's helpful. A, that's, that's a good road yeah. sign, right? So for sure we got the creation. That's right, yeah. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Uh, the fall of man. All right, right. Um, we've got Cain and Abel in there. Yeah, yeah. You got to have uh, the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel. The flood. The flood. One of the most popular children's stories that we have, uh, and yet one of the most terrifying stories in all of Scripture. And you know, as a kid, though, that must have gone right over my head. <laughs> I didn't. It, the fact that God flooded the planet and basically killed everybody. See, we left out the killed everybody part. Oh, yeah. That yeah. was left to your imagination. It depended on how grim of a child you were. That's true. Whether That's true. You, you caught on to the illustration of all the animals on the ark mm-hmm. versus all the bodies floating in the water. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow, that that's, feels a, really that's dark. a graphic picture. Yeah. So this is why it's rated M for mature. Yeah. Uh, because there is some, there's, some, there's some graphic stuff in here. You hit, you hit the high points. There's a way to look at these stories um, all as one piece. They're one big story about how humanity and, and how humanity and creation came into being. Uh, and it tells a, it tells a really, um, really important story uh, overall about uh, our relationship to God. Um, I don't know that I pulled that away when I was a kid, like reading all these stories together. Um, and I don't know that we ever read these stories together in one sitting, you know, that we kind of no, jumped around that's not, a lot. N- yeah, kids can't, for children's stories, they're broken up into yeah. individual pieces. I think that's one of the things about reading the Bible as an adult that you discover is that your whole life growing up, the Bible is subdivided into pieces. Yeah. And as an adult reading the Bible is when your reading should take a turn to evaluating the whole story, the yeah. story as a whole. Yeah. Um, that has been transformative for me in doing Disciple. Yeah. Big plug I haven't for plugged Disciple, disciple yeah. in a while. Let's plug Disciple. So yeah. let me plug Disciple because that's going to fire up in the fall, Absolutely right? Absolutely it is. Yeah. And one of the things about doing Disciple is that you're reading through the Bible and you're getting a picture of the Bible as a whole. And that's not something that we do with children. Children aren't ready for that. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, no, as a kid, never did I link all of these stories together. Yeah, it's like we get little kid sized portions. Like yeah. Child's house portion. We order from the kid menu of the Bible. You mm-hmm. know, you get these little little bitty pieces, uh, and then you don't get the whole meal. Um, and then sometimes we don't ever go back to the table, right? We, get, we take the little portions that we get as a kid, and we never go back. Um, so let's let's talk about these stories. These are again, like I said, this is this is a pretty good list of stories, uh, children's stories that we that we read. 
Uh, and the first one right off the bat is creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the beginning, God, made God the world. created the heavens and the earth. Yeah. Uh, as a kid, um, how did you, what do you remember about this, this story? We've talked about it before. I'll say it again, that illustrated living Bible I got as a kid had yeah. pictures of creation and Adam and Eve in the garden and the animals. Yeah. And so those are kind of the first things that I visualize. Yeah. Um, is the art, whatever artist dreamed up, that that's what the Garden yeah. of Eden would look like. Yeah. Um, I remember those pictures too, right? And uh, I, I remember um, I remember those pictures of like land coming out of the water and mm-hmm. you have the sun. I, I had this one Bible <laughs> as a kid that had the sun and the moon in the same sky together. And then, like, over here, it had, like, a calendar or something because, you know, it says that this is how we're going to mark the days or whatever. So, yeah. it's like, the calendar was also invented on this day. <laughs> uh, English calendar. It was kind of yeah. weird. But, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it's funny how those images stick with us. We talked about that last week and, and mm-hmm. how those those continue to uh, inform our interpretation or our reading of those texts. Uh, as a kid, what, what was your takeaway from that story? God made the world. God made God the world. God made everything. I think that's every... Everybody, you send your kid to preschool, you want the kid to come back from the Christian preschool knowing that God loves you and God made the world. Yeah, no. Uh, nothing else. There was, do that, you remember anything else? Those are, that, that's that is the big. foundational I mean, piece. Important. That is an important piece. Um, Absolutely. I didn't take anything away from the fact that our God creates order out of chaos. Yeah, yeah. Um uh, is that where you're headed? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just... Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember myself. I I think I took away the same thing. So I I remember reading those and and I remember it being hard pressed on me as a child that this is exactly how God made the earth. So it's not just that God made the earth, but that God made the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. Like this mm-hmm. is a literal retelling. And I remember I just remember my grandfather actually telling me that that when Moses was on top of the mountain uh, Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments. Uh, that God told him the story, and and he wanted him to write it down because traditionally this is one of the mm-hmm. books of Moses. So, um, and I remember just being fascinated by that that God would tell the story. I remember being envious of Moses sitting there listening to God tell the story. Yeah. Uh, but that's definitely uh, what I took away. God made the earth, and He made it in six days, and He rested on the seventh. And that's why we have Sundays, and that's why we go to church on Sunday, and that's you know that's what we do. Um, now, well, and that is the. That is a lot easier to explain to a kid. Sure. Then well, maybe this isn't a literal. Yeah. Well, and and that's the thing. I, maybe I, I wish we. Uh, I kind of wish we had Brandy here now to talk a little bit more about this. But uh, uh, that's one of the one of the struggles because you know if you had to boil these stories down to what is the core, you know, what is the kernel inside the husk of this story? Like, what is the thing that you're gonna you're gonna want to take away from it? That that would be the thing that you would want to teach kids, right? That's the thing you even want to teach adults. See? Which thing? The kernel, right? You want to get to the core. Oh yeah. What is yeah. the what so is what the is thing? That core? Yeah. Uh, and and I think I think God made the earth. God made creation. God made everything that exists. Is probably right there. It's a good place to start. Yeah, I don't know what else would be there. Uh, I, I, th- I think the hope is though that you do grow with that over time. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that. As we we this story of creation. Um, I remember. I was probably 18 or 19. I went to college and um, and studied biblical interpretation, even as an undergrad, and uh, learned that there are actually two different creation stories happening here, not mm-hmm. just one creation story, that two different traditions are being brought together. Um, and chapter one and chapter two are two different stories. 
And that blew my mind because I didn't know what to do with two stories that are not, they're not uh, chronologically the same. They don't work the same way. They don't function the same way. Um, And then once, once you learn that you begin to look, I think for, uh, you begin to ask questions about what, what is a deeper meaning here? What is, what are the little nuances of meaning that are happening? I think that you made it even further than I did before you had problems. I don't know. I, I mean, <laughs> come on. Can we talk about every eight-year-old's knowledge of dinosaurs and how I that know, creates yeah, a problem yeah. with Genesis? I totally forgot about that, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It, if Well, then, did Adam and Eve have dinosaurs around? Well, no, what happened to the dinosaurs? Why are dinosaurs? I, did God destroy them? Where did the dinosaurs? Yeah. Like, dinosaurs were the first thing to throw a huge wrench <laughs> in Genesis true. for me. That's so true. Man, I, remember, I asked my grandmother one time... Uh, about that uh, dinosaurs and um, you know she said well you know when you get to heaven you can ask Jesus anything you want and I said that's the first thing I'm going to ask him I'm going <laughs> to ask him about the dinosaurs what happened to the dinosaurs you yeah. know and where are they in the Bible uh, and I remember her telling me well you're going to have bigger questions than that by then but he'll tell you he'll let you know right so yeah dinosaurs I I, I totally forgot about that yeah uh, not included it seems it appears yeah we'll know. just wait. I don't know if Kiefer will hit a hit a dinosaur phase or not, but I think uh, I think they all do. Uh, she was telling me the other day that she actually was sad that the dinosaurs were extinct because she wanted to meet one. Hmm? You know, so there you go. She's already hit it a little bit. Um, so you go back to the story. I don't know how how recently you've read the story. I know you covered it in Disciple, and 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 we've we've read it. We actually used this story, uh, the first chapter of Genesis, as our structure for our Lent devotion a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, what what com- what comes out of it now for you that that maybe you didn't hit when you were a kid? God creating order out of chaos. Yeah. We did a lot of conversation through that devotional, too, mm-hmm. about light and dark mm-hmm. um, and the theme of light and dark that shows up throughout the scripture. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing for me is the foundation of a plan from a beginning, like having the sense that there's a plan starting in Genesis that's going to flow all the way through the scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Um. That's, I guess that would be something hard to teach to a kid, right? This is, yeah. There's a grammatical structure being laid here. Right. <laughs> um, no, that, that, I think that's, for me, that's exactly the same thing, the chaos and, the, and the, the, that God creates, that God is a God of order. So for me, the, the thing that came later was that, yeah, God created the world, but how God created the world is just as important, hmm. that he created through creating order and that we get life because we have order. And God is a God of order, not of chaos. Uh, and the first step of order is is creation of light, uh, and you know the devotional we we use that as a metaphor to talk about. That's the aha moment where um, we we get that that sense of God is in my life now to to bring order to my chaos personally, but also as a church. Um, there's a there's so much here in in this the, even this first chapter. The other thing that came out of that was a conversation about water. Yeah. And, yeah, and water being destructive in Genesis versus being um, new life and baptism. Yeah, definitely. You know, if you, I always I ask this question anytime I, I teach Genesis. I say, what's the one thing that God doesn't create in the creation story, in either one of them? Uh, and the one thing He does not create, it doesn't show us Him show God creating is water, 
because water represents chaos. It represents destruction, uh, and, and God doesn't create chaos and destruction. In fact, you wonder if those things can be created and aren't just breakdowns in creation themselves, right? Hmm. Um, so, Wow. We, <laughs> deep thoughts right there, man. <laughs> well, uh, you spend, you know, you just sit, sit with the book for a while, and who, who even knows? Who even knows what will bubble to the surface? Uh, so that's the first creation story. God creates the world. He speaks light into creation. He, um, he brings order to the chaos. Then there's chapter two. We get to ja- chapter two, and our first uh, our first named human being show up. So at the end of at the end of chapter one, we get you know God created humanity in His image, uh, male and female. He created them. Uh, and then you get the rest. And then in, in chapter seven, it, or chapter seven, in chapter two, you get a whole different story of God creating Adam and Eve. And then God finally, you know, gets his hands down in the dirt and actually forms Adam out of, out of the dirt. Um, reading this story of Adam and Eve, what do you, what do you remember? What, as a child, like as a kid growing up, what was, what were you taking away from that story? What was important? That was the image of God making me out of modeling clay. Okay. Very much kind of, I think, I don't know at what point they started to thread together, but you get imagery later on in the Bible about God as the potter. Yeah. And people as the clay. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess Jeremiah. And being a vessel. And so that that imagery of like the physical, like how you said, it's not just about that God made the world, but how he made it. It's interesting to me that we get this graphic how he made it. Yeah. Um, well, and, uh, as a child, as a child, these two stories from one and two are, are kind of just put together, right? So on the sixth day, God did this. Like chapter two is a, a description of, of what he does in chapter yeah. uh, chapter one. Um, but I, in in chapter uh, in chapter one, that the Genesis story, uh, God speaks humanity into God speaks humanity into being. But in chapter two, you get this image, and this is what I, as a kid, I just remember, like kind of like you were saying, had this image of God's hands like scooping up dirt and mud and and forming forming me. Um, uh, and I always wondered how that worked. If I, you know, but by then I knew that I, I came out of a womb, and I, you know, I always wondered like, mm-hmm. so does that mean God like put dirt in my mom and like <laughs> formed me out of that? This this sounds not healthy uh, and not, you know, sanitary. Yeah. Uh, but that was really confusing for me. And that, that's, again, that's funny how as kids, you know, you kind of take these half ideas that you have about how things work and you try to put them all together into one mm-hmm. big system. Even in when we're kids, we're trying to find systems. We're trying to create order out of chaos. Yeah. Uh, so Adam's created by God in God's hands. How does Eve come about? God takes a rib out of Adam. God takes a rib out of Adam. What do you think about Eve. that as a kid? Oh, man. I think as a kid, that made you think, like, boys came first. Oh, definitely, yeah. You know, so. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I even remember, as a kid, I remember one of the things that, that happens in that story is, um, you know, God gives, God gives Adam, like, all the animals first. He gives them mm-hmm. all the animals, and, and, and Adam's able Adam to, to name names them. Everything. Yeah, that's right, he names them. He even names the woman. He does. Um, 
and uh, very patriarchal, very story. patriarchal yeah. story. Well, it doesn't have to be read that way, but that, that's one way to read it. Uh, it was anyway. in my tradition yeah. growing up. <laughs> well, no, definitely, yeah. <laughs> in, in our traditions, it certainly was used as, as something like that. Uh, but I, I remember even as a kid that after God had created all these animals for Adam, that it says that they weren't enough; they weren't a suitable partner. Mm-hmm. And I remember my one of my Sunday school teachers making a big deal out of that that Adam was alone, and that he felt he felt lonely and that he needed a partner, a genuine, true partner in life. Mm-hmm. And that his dog Fido, you know, and his, you know, his pet lion and his, you know, all the animals on the planet, whatever, uh, weren't enough. And I remember as a kid, not understanding that. You know what I also remember though, is it was like all of these animals were pets. Yeah. No, that was the attitude of, uh-huh. of, of the child. They all had collars in my head. God brings you all these animals <laughs> and you name them and they're like yours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just think a pet lion would be pretty freaking cool. It would be cool, right? Pet tiger. Pet, oh, oh, tiger oh, king. Tiger king. <laughs> Tune in next week when we break down tiger king. Oh. I could have had a pet tiger for two grand. <laughs> that would be a bad idea. <laughs> Although as a Northside mascot. <laughs> So God creates uh, God creates Adam and Eve, and He puts them in the Garden of Eden. What do you, do you have visual images of of what that looked like as a kid in your head? So the number one is Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden with strategically placed greenery or animals. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yeah. You definitely. Because they're they're nude. They well, don't but know. it wouldn't be appropriate to have fully nude people in a children's book. Right. So here we go. So Our, we edited it a little uh, bit. We edited it out. Right. And so Eve's always got long hair. Right, right. To cover up the here. top part, yeah. And then... Yeah. Oh, here's a mystery that I had as a kid. Uh, I had a question as a kid. Maybe you can help me out, Nick. Did they have belly buttons? Is that... Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? Yeah, I think they did. God would have made them with belly buttons. Right, just to, so they didn't feel weird? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It'd just get weird, so... Yeah, just get weird. If, yeah. yeah, okay. All right. I mean, just like he made the earth to appear old. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> I never thought about it like that. Sorry, I didn't mean to go there, but here we are. So the... The Garden of Eden, I think even as a kid, comes off as a world of paradise, right? Where everything is laid out for you and planted and, and uh, there's some, uh, it, it, it's like you were saying before, all the animals are our pets and we don't eat our pets. So we don't even eat meat. So no. there's just fruits and vegetables. And and God is walking through the garden with yeah. you. Like you're mm-hmm. just chilling. You're just chilling with God in the Garden of Eden. That sounds like a pretty good deal. Well, because over the pandemic, one of my pandemic projects has been doing some gardening in the yard. Yeah. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, it's cursed. <laughs> and so imagine in a world where the earth wasn't cursed. Yeah. And everything just grew. Yeah. And it didn't, I'm assuming, like, it didn't naturally decay. It didn't get pests or they weren't too destroyed. I don't know how that all worked. Yeah. But yeah. Like... It's just this. Everything is just good, and you don't have to do anything to it. You're just walking around naked with God. Walking around naked with God, with a pet tiger. With a pet tiger, (laughs) and that that was life. That that was Garden of Eden. That sounds like a paradise world, right? Everything was perfect, and God only had one rule: don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or the Mm -hmm. tree of life. The two trees they were in the middle of the garden. Um, Wait a minute, you couldn't eat from either tree. I, I don't. You know what I. I think I, it was just the one tree. I, maybe it was just the one. I think we've had one. this conversation before. Maybe it was just the one. Because I felt like it was a combination of immortality and... Well, maybe they didn't need to eat from the tree of life. 
because they weren't going to die. I thought that's what kept them alive. Because they ate from the tree of life. Yeah. I, you know, I haven't thought about this. This is a... This is what you're here for, Nick. <laughs> Bring some new insight. No, I think that's right. I think, uh, I mean, I think it is. I think you're right. I think it's the I just think the tree was, of knowledge of good and evil. You can be immortal, but you can't also have the knowledge and be immortal. Yeah. Wow, okay. So then you're banished from the garden. Yeah. You lose access to the tree of life. Until he returns in a different form. Right? Yeah. Um, and then we'll have that conversation another day. Yeah, man, we need to get into that. No, that's uh, a fun one. That's a fun one. So, but as a kid, <laughs> going back to <laughs> I don't, I don't see young Nick saying this. So, as a kid, uh, I remember it being absurd to me. Like as a kid, uh, thinking that you couldn't stay away from the one tree. Like you got one rule, man. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there's one thing you have a perfect world. Like, how could you not follow that one? Yeah, rule? I mean, it's so. It's easy. interesting that you thought that as a kid, James. I do. <laughs> I do remember thinking, man, I've got so many rules I've got to follow. How come they couldn't follow just one? You've got one one rule. Don't eat apples. Don't eat pomegranates, whatever the fruit was. All you do is don't eat from that one tree, and you're fine, right? It it, it baffled me, though, that they they couldn't couldn't stick to that one rule. And then you get the introduction of this, this serpent character. Uh what did you think about him as a kid? All right, now, y'all need to know. Snakes and me, I don't do snakes. Yeah. I don't care. The story snakes is the reason why. Out, <laughs> and I don't know what came first, if I got a deep-seated hate of snakes from reading the story, <laughs> or if it's the prophecy fulfilled. Yeah. But I I don't do snakes. So it uh, the snake is the evil character. Seems completely all reasonable. snakes, huh? Just small ones, big ones, doesn't matter. Oh yeah, I don't even care. You know, I read, I read the other day that rattlesnakes are are they're being born now without rattles, like it's part of their adaptation. So they're straight up rattlesnakes without rattles because it benefits them not to have. That rattles. was the best thing about a rattlesnake is that you got a warning. Yeah, you don't get those anymore. Um, I, uh, you know, as a kid, you, uh, we're taught that this uh, the serpent is obviously the devil or Satan. Mm-hmm. And that he's here to destroy the garden. Uh, interestingly, you know, still created by God, still still part of the garden, still part of this perfect world that, that God has created, and yet he slithers up the tree and talks to Eve and talks her into Adam's right there. So it's not as though he's just talking to Eve. Adam is lit you know, right there. Uh, but as a kid, it's just Adam. I'm sorry, it's just Eve and the serpent mm-hmm. having this conversation. Eve and Satan. Yeah. And as a kid. I have no problem believing the scenario about the the devil being in the serpent or the serpent mm-hmm. being the devil or yeah. being possessed by the devil, sure. that that is Satan. But then you also, um, part of the children's stories that come around are about the fall of Lucifer. Yeah. Also not in the Bible. And it's not in the Bible. Yeah. And as a kid, I took that like it was there somewhere. I just hadn't gotten there yet. Right. Well, I think we do that with a lot of stories. And then as an adult, gosh, that's another podcast. Write that down, Matt. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> that 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 um, folklore. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of gets interjected into the creation story, yeah, it and it's not really there. But as a kid. I start thinking, okay, so the devil got kicked out of heaven, and now this is his way to get back at God. Right, right. It's, He's going to corrupt the creation. Yeah. 
as a kid, what then I take away from that story is that there is a war going on yeah. between heaven and earth. Yeah. And it sets up this th- whole process in your head of right. that as a Christian, I'm at war against the devil. Mm-hmm. As a kid, it's so easy to merge these stories together. We're talking about the dinosaurs before. And I, I mean, I did. I have pictures in my head of Adam riding a dinosaur. I don't know if I ever saw that or if I just imagined that, but I, I have that picture in my head. And we merge these stories together. And then every single time we come back to Scripture, we read it into. We read it into the story. Right? We read it into the story. Like if I were to ask you, for instance, like if I were to ask you, you know, what fruit did Eve eat here? Like what fruit did she actually eat? It was definitely an apple. It was definitely an apple, right? But there's no apple in Scripture, right? It doesn't say apple. It just says fruit. So we have that image that it was an apple. Well, and it doesn't seem really reasonable for it to be a watermelon. <laughs> Could have been a pomegranate. Could have been something else. <laughs> a date. <laughs> Who knows, right? Uh, but we have these images and these ideas that we that are fed to us from somewhere else that just get reinforced and we read them into Scripture and then they're there. They're there permanently until we go back as adults and look at them more carefully, uh, which is what we're doing with this genesis, these Genesis stories. Well, and somebody has when, until somebody looks at you and says, well, where is that in the Bible? <laughs> exactly. You go back and flip and flip and flip and flip and flip <laughs> and you can't find it. The story of the fall, uh, by the way, only Christians refer to it as the fall. Jewish interpreters don't don't talk about this as being the fall of, of humanity. Oh, really? This comes from this comes from Paul. I mean, this is this is Paul writing in Romans talking about how one man sinned and so all men are mm-hmm. sinners. Um, we're taught. I think we're taught that as children, we're taught that this is where sin came from. This is why you know. Yeah. We, so there's a punishment. There's retribution. Uh, Nick, you get your fear of snakes. You know, mm-hmm. he, he, snakes loses his legs, which apparently he had maybe. Uh, and then there's pain for childbirth. And then we have to work the land and we get yep. kicked out of the garden and, and it's guarded garden by, you know, uh, flaming swords. And Which, let me just say, if I was ever going to get a tattoo, <laughs> feels like this would be a pretty sick one. Right, the angels with the flaming yeah. swards guarding the gates to the Garden of Eden. Now, the question is, where would you put that on your body? <laughs> Again, if that was ever <laughs> Matt suggesting the throat, <laughs> or he's telling us to cut this conversation out. I get that too. It could be either way. I don't know. That's another one of those yeah. images that I yeah. think is really in my head. That it sticks you yeah. because um, that stuff, man, captures your imagination, particularly as yes, a kid. Captures your imagination. Yes. And I remember as a kid, I was like, "Man, I'm going to find this place. I'm going to find the Garden of Eden someday." Mm-hmm. I almost became an archaeologist. We basically, know exactly where it is right? in between it's these like, two rivers yeah, Euphrates and Euphrates and Tigris, and there's two other rivers. Yeah. Like, I did a whole map. How thing. could nobody have found this yet? Yeah, right, right. Well, yeah. So this garden, uh, we're cut off from the Garden of Eden. We're cut off from this paradise. I think as kids, we we get that. That seems like a very easy story for us to grab onto. I mean, that, that's not. There's no complication there. We messed up. We get punished. We get we get knocked out uh, of the garden. But I get up again. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> what? Um, going back and thinking about that story now as an adult, though, is there something more to it? Is there, or do you read it differently, or is it is it really just that simple? Going back and reading it as an adult, I read onto it, like you said, the truth of the experience that I've had. And look at what it takes to garden and look at what it takes for a woman to bring a life into this world and say, 
that seems like as reasonable an explanation of, of as any for why things right. are the way they are, yeah, yeah. you know? So yeah, works for me. So you bring in your experience and maybe knowledge of, of science and stuff and say, you actually just reaffirm your interpretation as a child. Yeah. Yeah. I think we do. I think we all do that. Um, I think for me, uh, this is a, uh, one of the things, one of the things as an adult, I might read this story. The first thing I noticed is that Adam is right there with Eve. So it's not just Eve that's being tricked. It's also Adam. I think that's important uh, for many different reasons, but that, that they, they both humans are tricked here. And, as far as a, another meaning, I mean, there's a lot going on. Now, were they tricked, though? Well, that's the question, right? Yeah. Um, they that's, that's the thing. They weren't. They were actually told the truth. I mean, Satan, or Satan, the serpent didn't didn't lie. He's, mm-hmm. He just basically manipulated these, these two innocent people into uh, doing the one thing that they were not allowed to do. I also take away the cause and effect of that. Okay. That really that the the order of things that we live in is you get this set of rules. If you break the rules, this yeah. is the consequence. Yeah. That's something you get now as an adult. Mm-mm. That you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean. Yeah. If I didn't, then it makes the New Testament tough. Yeah. So the the punishment is. Do you think the punishment fits the crime here? They were told straight up what the punishment would be before they broke the crime. So I've never been asked that question before. Yeah, I'm just um, wondering if, if as uh, adults we think this is fair because I have another question about that later I on. It just seems so irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Whether it's fair or not, we are in the current state we're in. Yeah, we are, we are who we are. Um, but I do know that the most heinous act my children can commit against me is when I specifically say not to do something yeah. and you look at me and say, guess what? I'm doing it anyway. I'm doing it anyway. Um, that's basically every time I talk to Kiefer. So <laughs> <laughs> if she even heard me when I said something, right. Uh, I, I will say this. One of the things that I take away from this, this story uh, as an adult that I didn't really spend enough time with as a kid is just that the idea of walking with God in the garden. Oh. The idea of what that would be like. This, this, the picture of paradise here, I think, is, um, is exactly what, I'm, what I long for. It's exactly what I want in my walk with Christ. It's exactly what I want as a Christian and as a human being. It's what I'm designed to be. And as an adult, I see this as the ideal to get back to. Yeah. yeah. That this world where we're walking with God and we're in that constant communion is the ideal where yeah. we don't have, there's no pain, there's no tears. You mm-hmm. don't have any needs that aren't going to be provided for that. That is the ideal world that yeah. I want to get back to. I don't know if that's exactly what heaven looks like, but that's what I think it looks like. Right now. I think that would be perfect. Adam and Eve have a couple kids. Time yeah. goes on. They, they leave the garden. They wander out into the wilderness and, and begin to plant corn and wheat and uh, tame animals and whatever it is they're going to do. Uh, and Cain and Abel come onto the scene in chapter 4 of Genesis. This is a story that 
I found disturbing even as a kid. So this is one of the this is one of the stories that's disturbing that wasn't kept from me as a kid. <laughs> yeah, you can't avoid. It's hard. There's definitely a murder. Yeah, there's a murder here. It's the it's the. <laughs> I mean, the, the think about this: the first person born on the planet murdered the second person born on the planet. Yeah. Is that t- what does that tell you? What you need to know about humanity? It yeah, <laughs> it's a tough situation. <laughs> And I don't think this is one that gets taught early to children. Yeah. I don't remember this early on, like creation or yeah. Noah's Ark. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, as a kid, I'd, I, I'm trying to remember. I had I grew up with brothers. You grew up with brothers. We we're both yeah. the oldest of three. I'm the oldest of four. You're the oldest of four. Okay. Uh, so there was definitely times when I wanted to, you know. Yeah. Somebody might have deserved somebody, to. Somebody needed to, to do something about yeah. one of these two brothers that I had. Uh, and I was, I, I remember this this passage was very much given to me as a guide. You know, you are your brother's keeper, you know, and don't don't murder your brothers. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So uh, I that's the takeaway that I had when I was a kid. I don't, did you have, did you remember this at all? Like, when, do you remember your first engagement with the story? As a kid, yeah. It is about... Um, don't kill for, people. For me, well, don't kill people. There's consequences, again. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you murder your brother and now you get cursed. Yeah. Um, there's something about um, bringing good gifts to God. Yeah. And I think one of the things that stuck with me, maybe as a preteen, reading the scripture and reading the line that God addresses Cain and says, Abel's blood cries out to me from the ground. Yeah, yeah. And I was kind of like, ooh. Yeah. I don't know. That just felt really, yeah, really yeah. intense, God. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so there was an element of God knows everything you're doing. Yeah, that, yeah I remember that. God's watching, always yeah. watching. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that too. Um, which you don't actually get from the, the first sin, you know, the first uh the fall or whatever you get the idea that god wasn't paying attention because he shows up later and he's like yeah hey, like, where's everybody at he was yeah yeah but here you definitely get the feeling that uh that god either god's paying attention or or able blood really maybe is he switched modes him. after that first thing happened yeah, he was like i better I, pay better I, attention I to this i watch, watch these guys <laughs> yeah maybe so uh that's funny um it's funny that you say that idea of bringing good gifts to god uh it's definitely something as a kid that i had but as an adult, when I go back and look at the story, there's nothing about that in the actual story. There's no, oh. it doesn't, it doesn't list a motivation for why God preferred Abel over Cain. Hey, but the way it gets taught, even as adults, it gets used as stewardship. Oh, definitely. And it should. And by the way, guys, you need to fill out your pledge cards. Go ahead and send them in today. But uh, definitely, definitely it does. But it's not actually in the text. Like, it's not there. It's one of those things that we read in. What do you mean it's we, not there? We, we brought, we brought I can't it believe it's not it's there. Not, it, it, there's not a clear motivation in the text uh, for why God chooses. Are you sure it doesn't I'm, plainly say does that Cain killed Abel say. because God liked Abel's gift better? Oh, I'm not saying that. It, it, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, that jealousy and the rage, yeah, for Cain's motivation. But I'm talking about why does God prefer Abel? Why does God prefer Abel's? God's motivation for his preference. God's motivation, yeah. His first preference isn't in the text. It Hmm. just says that he preferred Abel over Cain. Um, And and Cain noticed, right? And so uh, Cain, this is one of my favorite—it has become one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Um, And I had not not paid a lot of attention to it until— couple years ago, but the first mention of the word sin in the Bible is in chapter 4, when he's talking about Cain and Abel. And Cain's, 
about to do something terrible, and God says, hey, man, why are you mad? Like, if you do what's right, if you do what's right, the consequences thing you were talking about, if you do what's right, mm-hmm. you'll be blessed, you know? And if you do what's wrong, he says, if you decide to do what's wrong, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to devour you, but you must overpower it. Mm-hmm. And that that verse for me has become a pivotal part of, as an adult, how I understand what sin is. Like, uh, that sin is this kind of active force that's trying to, try, that's hunting us down, mm. like your pet tiger gone loose, right? Uh, hunting us down and trying to devour us. But then it says, but you must overpower it or you must rule over it, which also implies that we have the power to rule over sin or that we have the power to wrestle with sin. That That's something that, that we don't have to just an, give up to. It's not an unconquerable right. thing, right. force. Now I don't I don't know that we can do that by ourselves, but the implication of the of the text there is 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 that it's not something we have to just lay down and and be devoured. Um, and I didn't obviously that kind of nuance as a child I didn't have that you know just don't kill people and don't get angry and give good gifts to God. That's what I took away yeah. as a child. No, there's definitely a transition as your understanding grows. Cain gets marked with the mark of Cain. We don't know what that is. Uh, and then he gets even further removed from the equation. By well, the way, has a wife all of a sudden. Where'd she come from? We don't know. But, well, and the reason why he needed the mark is because there were all these other people that could kill him? Yeah. And this is like a mark that was a mark of a curse, a mark of his curse, but also a mark of protection. Yeah. Right? As a kid, n- not none of that came through with me. As far no, as, yeah. As far as the understanding of, like, I don't even know that... I just remember Cain was marked and kicked even further out into the wilderness, right? I guess the other lesson as a kid was the that your anger, your jealousy can take over and you have to master your mm, master emotions. Your emotions, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's gets at the heart of what that verse is about. There's a I go back and read this now. There's a sense in which you can see God's grace active even here, right? That he's he's punishing Cain, but he's also protecting Cain. Yeah, the fact that he didn't just yeah. let him get killed. Yeah, and you can see that with Adam and Eve too. Like he punished them, but he also gave them like fur skins to wear. Well, and that the devil says, "Oh no, it won't really kill you." Yeah, turns out he was right. Turns out the serpent knew. Interestingly enough, Cain is the. Uh, so after that, there's a whole long passage about descendants of Cain, and Cain is um, his descendants are the ones who build the first cities, uh, the first cities of man. I've always thought that there's a great juxtaposition here between God planting gardens and men building cities and how those two things are what what's at odd here odds here uh, well and in, in this first initial 11 chapters here's a place where my uh, love of fantasy and science fiction start to merge in with with the biblical theology oh, and no. I'm like oh it's Gondor it's definitely Gondor <laughs> <laughs> to a, a really dark story now a story that um we got told as a, as kids and probably like it might be the number one children's story told i i mean it, it, it's it's in the top three for sure it's like the michael jordan of children's bible stories the story of noah and the ark um not knowing the flood but knowing the ark what do you remember from this story as a kid what do you what, what what's the lesson you learned I, I remember other kids getting confused and it being moses's ark <laughs> um, 
Or Jonah in the Ark. I say that sometimes. Oh, that could be a thing. I say that too. Um, what I remember walking away from Noah and the Ark was God's promise that he would never flood the earth oh, again. rainbows. And the story of the yeah, rainbow. Yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the thing they push hard there at the end. Yes. So that you go on to the next story and don't worry about what what you just witnessed. Yeah, never mind the genocide. Yeah, exactly. The mass execution of every human on the planet, save I mean, eight. They deserved it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so as a kid, definitely didn't didn't focus on, on what actually happened here, but rather uh, on the animals on the ark. I remember spending a lot of time drawing pictures of animals mm-hmm. on the ark, two by two. Two by two. Um, uh, and I remember uh, the the rainbow. Mm-hmm. I remember God like in the sky with the rainbow and making a promise to, that He would never do this again. The uh, Noah sends out the dove yes. to see if the land is dry, and yes. so the dove is always the dove with pictured. the olive branch. Yes, I remember that picture in my yep. head. Absolutely. Um, I remember a picture of the the ark itself. And big old boat. Also, I think the lesson, so we got the rainbow right. and God's promise not to do it again. But at the beginning, we would talk about Noah's faithfulness. Yeah, yeah. That he even builds the ark because he's building the ark. Because he's the only one who listens to God is what I remember. Right. Yeah. Everyone else is like, we're done with God. You know, we're six chapters in and yep. everyone and the party else is, is done. On. Right, the party is on. I remember, um, I remember, the, you know, the sin had run rampant. Right, and mm-hmm. then people were just sinning, and I remember there being like I, semi-violent pictures in the in the children's book, the, the children's Bible that I had, but not nothing that was like too violent. But you know, some guy like, stealing money from another guy <laughs> or something like that. You know, and that is an interesting um, take on what you imagine as a kid the sin was that right. was driving God to destroy Based these on people. What you might now versus yeah. what you would think about. Yeah, and the other thing I remember that we learned from this story is this: this is when animals become afraid of us. This is when God puts the fear of man into animals, so that, that this is why well, a, a you bird won't eat fly up to me. And you on the boat, for... right? Right, right. Um, now, as a kid, never had any moral questions about this story. Never asked anything other than, you know, um, I'm glad that Noah was faithful. I'm glad that he listened to God. You know, and I wondered if, you know, if God came. And to I'm me, glad God saved these people. Exactly right. We don't who, talk who are, about all the people that died. We talk about God the saved. Who, the saved, the, the, the positive stuff, right? Moses, Coming out the I end. Mean, Moses. Nice. So, yeah. What's the... There we go. Uh, what is the point of the story, though? What are we supposed to take away? As a kid, it's all about God's faithfulness, right? And Noah's faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as an adult, and I go back and read the story, it troubles me. I'm going to be totally honest with you. It's one of the most... It's one of the darkest and most troubling texts in the entire Bible. Because uh, the first, the first thing it does is it, it insinuates that God repents and regrets ever making humanity, and it, the, the word that they use there is the same word as repentance. So God repents of creating humanity. Uh, like it was like this is a failed project, uh, and he hits the reset button in a pretty hard way. And learning that there are people whose primary issue with Judeo-Christian God is mm-hmm. this story. Yeah, yeah. that they have a hard time believing in a God that would, would do, do this. Yeah. And I, I th- have believed, and this is another side conversation for another day, but um, how can you have a moral issue with the choices that God makes? Right. Yeah. If God is God, God is God, then what God does is moral. 
That's exactly right. And that's funny that you said it because that's exactly what we're talking about right now in, in our wisdom of literature study with Job is they're trying to figure out the question. The question of Job is, you know, is God just, is God righteous? And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the book says, yeah, he's the definition. Whatever he does mm-hmm. is righteous. That's what righteousness looks like. There's more complex ways to look at it, but that's certainly not something that you, uh, as a kid, you really pick up on. No, but as a as a kid who heard this story and grew up with it and then starts to ask questions, then I think that is the answer that I was given. Yeah. Is that if you do raise the question, well, it seems like God killed a whole lot of people just yeah, then. Was that yeah. really necessary? It's very uncomfortable, yeah. Um, and then the answer is was for me. Yeah. God can do whatever God wants. Yeah. And that's the definition of good. There's a there's a there's a B side to the story of uh, Noah uh, after the after the flood after the forty days after the waters recede and the and the and the and the boat lands on the mountain uh, and they get out. First of all, the first thing the first thing that Noah does is plant a vineyard. Like he's like, we need wine. Like that's the first thing he decides that needs to happen. And when he gets the wine, he gets drunk. Uh, and this is one of those stories. I never. Um, yeah, no. I was this never story as, a, as kid. a kid, this definitely ended. It at, and they got exist. off the boat, and yeah. there's a rainbow. Yeah, done, done, out, right. Uh, but apparently, it goes a little bit further than that, and and there's a whole thing with his sons and and covering shame, and uh, one of his sons gets cursed because he didn't he didn't uh, respect protect his father and protect honor as the right yeah. uh, of his drunk, passed out father. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know what Just this story is about. Somewhere. I think a yeah. lot of what the meaning of this story is going to be lost forever. I didn't. I never heard this as a kid. I didn't hear this until I was an adult, probably. I don't even remember reading this. Um, I don't even remember reading this until I maybe got to college. I don't even know. Oh, I think I probably read it sitting in church because I read the Bible a lot. That was one of the authorized activities if I didn't want to listen to a sermon. Activities. Yeah, okay. So I definitely did read this but i still you didn't ask questions i'm still not sure i was embarrassed to i didn't want mom and dad to explain how come well for beginners i grew up baptist so being drunk was bad just right out the gate (laughs) i mean like you were so hammered that you you know so um but yeah then there's the weird some sexual thing going on with the daughter or daughters-in-law i guess something yeah mm, yeah something Um, weird going on there uh and the whole story i I don't, and, and this is supposed to be the guy who was like heard God and like we got rid of all, we washed all this way. I'm like, we killed a lot of people just now mm-hmm. so that bad stuff wouldn't happen. And now and this, this was seems the like guy. it seems like he's like completely saturated in in sinful activity. And I, I don't know what to do with this story, even as an adult. I, there's not many people to choose. From. I mean, does the repetition appear here to be fruitful and multiply? I don't, when remember, I don't remember the couple get off the when boat. When they get off the boat, yeah, I think yeah. it does actually. Yeah. Um. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I don't rated even, M. Rated M for mature. I think Catherine is going to cover that. So you guys should oh, definitely show up that. for that. If one. I had to pick one of the four, uh, let's see, because it's you and uh, Reverend Jeff uh-huh. and Doctor Bill. That's right. And, and Reverend, Reverend Catherine. Catherine. So, yeah, I think having Catherine cover that is going to prove to be the most interesting. it's going to be great. Um, I can't wait for it. Uh, 
and and then so finally we come to the last story uh, in this in this initial grouping of of stories, the Tower of Babel. Um, this is another one of those top top stories as a kid. I remember the mm-hmm. pictures of the of the yeah, men and women trying to build this. Yeah, is it right? Yeah, that's right. Trying to build this huge tower to the sky. Do you remember what was the takeaway for this? How did you read this as a kid, or how was it told to you? The people were trying to be God. Yeah, yeah. They were trying to become like God. So it was the same offense that Adam and Eve got punished for. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, that was a hard one to digest because I felt like, but everybody's cooperating. Right. And as a child. Even as a child, you thought that? Yeah, yeah, because you spend your whole childhood being told to share right. and get along. And Everybody's getting along. At least they have a goal. And they're right. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's, I never thought, I, I don't think so I... So they get together and say, let's build a tower to God. There was a part of me that thought, Isn't that what we're what's supposed to be wrong doing? with trying to build a tower to God? Yeah. I don't... I, I vaguely remember having a question similar to that. I don't remember the cooperation thing. I don't think that ever hit me. Uh, uh, but... um. I, I I don't remember a lot about this story as far as like... Well, it's a pretty short one. I yeah, mean, it is. Compared I, to the I, time given to the other stories we've discussed. It, right. It's kind of tacked on here at the end. And uh, it, I do remember that they, they were trying to be like God. I remember that. And I remember that being similar to what Eve and Adam were doing in the garden. Maybe we need to go back and read it. That might not be there. Yeah, it probably isn't. <laughs> uh, well, I think uh, Jeff's going to cover this story, but... um. Uh, as a, as and when I go back now as an adult and look at this, um, that idea of reaching for God and trying to be like God still is still probably my biggest takeaway from this, and 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 this double this kind of there's a little bit of like I I don't know how to say this exactly but in these first eleven chapters or at least chapters two through eleven, it's almost as though God is a little worried about us like he's. Worried about what we can accomplish, uh, and w- I say that because he says, "Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil." And then, once we do, the first thing he does is get us away from the tree of life as soon as possible. And then the the Noah story, where he's like, "All right, I gotta I gotta deal with these guys because this is getting out of control." And now there's a story of of Tower of Babel, and I don't mean that God is afraid of us or anything in these stories, but it that there is this like our focus is not in the right place, and that we are not we're not doing the things that we need to be doing. There is a way though, that I could see reading the story where you might think when reading God made man in his image. Yeah. Well, and how much of his image did he make us? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is, is he worried that we could overthrow him? Yeah. The devil's trying to. Right. I mean, if I'm adding everything together, if if we're throwing it all in there, especially as a kid, uh, I would say that. Um, one of my favorite parts about the Tower of Babel story, though, is they keep building it higher and higher and higher, and, and God comes down, like, I think three, two or three times to see what's going on. The first time he comes down, he's like, oh, that's that's cute. That's adorable. And he comes down again, and eventually he comes down and, and scatters everybody, and, and that's where all the languages come from. I do remember that from the yeah. story as a kid. Yeah. Well, th- there is an element of these stories are explaining the way things are now. Right. How come yeah. things are the way they mm-hmm. are now? Yeah. These kind of uh, primordial kind of stories. Um, but I do, one of the things I love about the story now is that no matter how high the tower gets, the, the text is so clear that God came down to it. Like they never, like God always had to they come down. They weren't coming close. Right. Yeah. They weren't yeah. coming close. Um, 
but there's that apprehension uh, on God's part. Uh, it does seem to be a little bit of apprehension. And in all of these stories, like looking back as an adult, it, it's almost like there's a little bit of a trial and error uh, relationship going on uh, between God and us. Like he's trying to figure out how to relate to a being that he's created to have a relationship with. I, I think that that would make a lot of people uncomfortable to think about it like that because they want to think of God and as something as someone who doesn't change and who knows everything and is is perfect doesn't need to learn but if i don't know i like the idea of a a god who has to learn relationship in this you know with a being that never existed before does that make sense i don't know so when we're talking through what the story sounded like to us as kids um and i what having that question you know why is god upset about this yeah the piece that comes out of it the answer that i remember being given was well it was the pride and the vanity of the people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that is a recurring theme through these stories too. Absolutely. That we're learning about that if we are prideful, if we are putting ourselves first, if we're trying to achieve our own goals through our own power, God's not going to honor that. I think that's good. Um, I like that a lot. In fact, you, you can see that kind of, that it's not just that we get the knowledge of good and evil, it's how we get it that's important. So maybe God intended to to teach us the knowledge of good and evil in relationship as we were walking through the garden with him, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe God does want us to ascend to him in heaven, right? But not on our own strength, not on our will and willpower, right? Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of, I think, uh, and maybe, you know, I think there's a lot of that doing the way we do things is as important as that we do them at all. And pride is that thing that gets in the way where we don't recognize the the position of God in our lives as king and lord so i would take it just a step further and say the attitude mm. with which we do things yeah is I'd, so important i think jesus would agree with that yeah he says that, that in the sermon on the mount right right yeah um that you you could absolutely be checking the stuff off the list yeah but yeah. if you're doing it with the wrong motives in mind the yeah. wrong attitude in mind you don't get credit yeah depart from me i never knew you right mm-hmm Well, this has been great. This has been great to kind of walk through these these stories as a uh, that we very familiar with as kids, and uh, kind of just revisit them and and talk about what they might mean for us as adults. We we didn't get a lot into it. Uh, you told me at the very beginning, don't be too exegetical. So I tried to back off, but I guess it's my natural gear to get into. Uh, well, and we're, I mean, you and I having a conversation, we're bound to, Yeah, this yeah. is not that different from what it sounds like when you and I are in the no, office. Other than that, not having a mic in my face. This, yeah, this exactly. is basically what we do. Um, so uh, I appreciate you sitting down with me, Nick, and, uh, and this was a great talk. And Matt, I appreciate you producing over there. He's, uh, yeah, I think he's falling asleep. Uh, but. Um, well, it's that soothing bass voice you got oh, here, James. No doubt. Uh, radio voice. I like it. I like it. Um, you have any other thoughts you want to throw out to the people? I, I loved bringing up what questions we had as kids about these stories. And particularly in light of the conversation with Brandy last week, I would love to explore some more of how you answer those questions. Yeah. Um, Maybe we should just bring Brandy back on and, and yeah, ask her our child questions. That might be, that might be a good move. <laughs> um it might be something that we encourage people, you know, as as you walk away from this podcast, wherever you are, whoever you are, to sit down and think about this, like the way that we have today. You know, sit down with well, a pen and paper. And what were the kids, What were the questions I had, and how do I answer them now? I would love to hear the questions. Oh, I would too. Yeah, wouldn't that be interesting? That would be. Um, 
Absolutely. And gosh, you don't even, it doesn't even have to be from when you were a kid. It could be now. It could be now. Because I, I think that a lot of those same questions, they, they, they maintain, they, they don't mm-hmm. disappear until they're addressed. Um, and a great way to address them would be to join us at the Wednesday night Bible study um, at church. Starts July 8th, which I think is going to be the Wednesday before this podcast comes out. Uh, but uh, we're limiting it to 100 people. It's and moving. It's an eight weeks long, and you have to register. You have to register, but you don't have to register for all eight weeks. You can do a week at a time. Uh, thank you out there, Northside people and others, for joining us, and we hope that we'll see you. I uh, hope to see you in person soon. Yes. Hope to see you in person. Thanks for listening.